Welcome to On the Middle East, our Monitor's weekly podcast on the big issues and conversations shaping the region. My name is Ambrin Zaman, and I'm a senior correspondent for Our Monitor. And my guest today is Dr. Tuba Tanyeri Erdemir. She's a research associate at the University of Pittsburgh's Anthropology Department and the coordinator of the Anti-Defamation League's Task Force on Middle East Minorities. And we'll be talking about the Hagia Sophia, magnificent 6th century Byzantine cathedral, which was converted last year by Turkey's Islamist government into a full-service mosque. As we near the first anniversary, that's on July 24th, of its opening to Muslim prayer services, Tuba and I will look at what's happened over the past year and what further conquests and conversions lie ahead. So welcome to our show, Tuba. Let's kick off by reminding our audience about why this conversion was so controversial when it happened. There was a lot of speculation that Turkish President Erdogan was doing this to firm up his poll numbers among his pious base. Others said the move was part of a broader effort to transform Turkey from a secular state to one shaped by Erdogan's own Islamo-nationalist vision of a Turkey restored to its former Ottoman glory. Yet today there's little or anything said about it. Not only that, another Byzantine gem with magnificent mosaics, the Kora Church, also in Istanbul, has been formally declared a full-service mosque and is expected to open to Muslim prayer as well. Um, so converting a major religious structure of a conquered population into the faith of the conquerors is neither unique nor uncommon. And it's not, you know, only Hagia Sophia, but there are multiple other examples of these worldwide. One of the most well-known ones is perhaps the Cathedral of Cordoba, for instance, which was built um, as a great mosque in the 8th century and was converted into um, a Catholic cathedral in the 13th century. Um, by converting one of some of these major religious structures, into the faith of the conquerors, you mark your domination in a landscape in a way that it becomes part of people's everyday lives. It becomes a reminder who's in power and who are the ones that are being conquered and who are the ones that are being dominated. So this is a very common practice. And it has, I mean, and this wasn't the first time Hagia Sophia went through this. We very well know of Mehmet II's conquest of Istanbul and marking that conquest quite significantly and symbolically by converting Hagia Sophia into um, a mosque. Uh, but earlier than that, in 1204, um, at the Let uh, when Latins took over uh, Constantinople, they had converted Hagia Sophia into um, a Catholic cathedral, for instance, and it served as a Catholic cathedral for uh, over um, five decades. So this is a common practice. And um, by converting a major symbolic monument um, into the faith of a particular group, you establish a visual urban control and um, a daily reminder of who is in power and who's dominating. So let me get to um, other churches that this has been happening. And this is a bit, um, if you look at how uh, Byzantine heritage has been treated over the last decade, uh, one could argue uh, that this is a very systematic 
process, a systematic ongoing process. First, with the conversions of Hagia Sophia's of Nicaea and Trabzon, which were like Hagia Sophia of Istanbul, built as Byzantine churches, converted into mosques after uh, Islamic takeover of those cities, um, and, but became uh, museums during the Turkish Republic and had been serving as such. Uh, so in 2011 and 2013, they were converted into mosques. Um, Hagia Sophia and Kora are following this process. So by converting former museums, which kind of were aligned with the ideology, if you will, with Kemalist secularist Turkey, this is a process marking the domination of a different type of ideology. So can we talk a little bit about the late Turkish poet Necip Fazıl Kısakürek, who campaigned for the Hagia Sophia conversion decades ago, and who President Erdogan told me when I first interviewed him in 2002, was the man who inspired him the most. Let me go back to Erdogan's ideological underpinnings. In the beginning of his political career, he was part of the national vision camp, which is an Islamist, very conservative political camp in Turkey. And uh, Necip Fazıl Kısakürek is one of the major ideologues that shaped uh, some of the political discourse that is used both by uh, the national vision proponents, but also strongly by Erdogan. And we know that he actually made a direct reference uh, to one of the speeches of Necip Fazıl Kısakürek in his opening speech um, for um, announcing Hagia Sophia's conversion. Um, so Necip Fazıl Kısakürek actually defines a very strong ideological position, both for Erdogan and the larger um, national discourse. But now, it's also very unique in that it also blends in a very fierce Turkish nationalism. Oh, and that's what we're seeing today. I mean, this fusion between Islam and nationalism. Yeah. Necip Fazıl uh, Kısakürek is a self-defined anti-Semite and, um, and a supremacist. And he has a deep hatred for all of Turkey's non-Muslims. So this is kind of like his major ideological framework. And in many ways, Erdogan's conversion of Hagia Sophia is um, reflecting that ideological framework very clearly, in which, you know, the conversion is framed around the rhetoric of conquest. And within that conquest, it is a firm belief in the su supremacy of Islamists over all others in this country. Erdogan's not just converting churches into mosques, is he? He's also building new ones in very symbolically significant places, most recently in Taksim Square in Istanbul, which is home to a beautiful Greek Orthodox church, and the church is now dwarfed by the new mosque. Taksim Mosque was particularly interesting uh, because uh, if you remember, uh, the Geze protests of 2013 were perhaps the most significant challenge to Erdogan's rule in all of his time in office. And I think he still holds a grudge of all who participated in that protest. And it is a part of his, his personal vendetta to show that his presence is in and around Gezi Park. And um, we can say that over the last five years, he has reformulated the Taksim Square 
which is a very symbolic, emotionally charged space for those who participated in the Geza protests, but for, you know, Turkey's leftists and um, Turkey's secularists as well. The opening of uh, Taksim Mosque in that square, the ongoing transfer of Gezi Park uh, into um, a, an Ottoman Pais foundation um, are parts of his strategy to establish domination, not only on non-Muslims, uh, but also on um, people who have a secularist point of view and who promote liberal values. So getting back to the Hagia Sophia, one of the big concerns at the time of its conversion to a full service mosque was uh, the fate of its um, mosaics, what would happen, the damage that might be inflicted on this very glorious yet fragile structure. Has there been any damage that you know of or has the government succeeded in uh, shielding uh, the structure from such damage? Now, one of the biggest problems for heritage specialists, and I'm putting on my heritage professional hat here, um, was what would happen to the future of this very fragile, very old monument. Not only the mosaics, but the entirety of the structure too. Um, when it was a museum under the control um, and jurisdiction of the Ministry of Culture and Tourism, um, Hagia Sophia had a professionally trained museum staff who were taking care of the monument on a daily basis, monitoring every little change in humidity, um, in pest control, in you know um, whether or not there was leaks in the roof, everything was monitored on a daily basis. Um, by taking the monument out of the control of the Ministry of Culture and um, Tourism and giving it to under the control of Pius Foundations first, and then um, the General Directorate of um, Religious Affairs, um, this system of protection is effectively lifted. And over the last year, uh, we have not been able to establish uh, whether or not the site is being monitored as it was. Um, from what I understand, um, it is a functioning mosque. It's open for seven days, 24 hours, which means there is significant human traffic within the structure. Um, and human traffic is, you know, one of the most dangerous things to those really ancient monuments because it increases humidity. It um, brings in all sorts of um, environmental problems that add to the very slow but detrimental decay of the monument. Um, so in its museum form, for instance, it was open for visitation only for several hours out of the day and always closed on Mondays, which gave time to the monuments to kind of reestablish itself, to bounce back, let's say. But also the lack of monitoring is quite significant and we really need to make sure it receives the attention that it deserves. Do we have any sense of what fate has befallen the other Hagia Sophia's in Trabzon and Nicaea in terms of their uh, preservation, their condition after becoming full-service mosques? Unfortunately, uh, both Hagia Sophia's of Iznik Nicaea and Trabzon have suffered uh, damage 
um, over the last decades after they became mosques. In Trabzon, they um, had a second uh, renovation restoration process and they reopened it in um, 2020 shortly after the conversion of Hagia Sophia uh, but uh, both in Nicaea and Trab- in, in Trabzon um, experts are worried and they have already seen significant starts of deterioration in both of the buildings uh, which is kind of um, a very terrifying model for Hagia Sophia and uh, for in the uh, near future. You mentioned the fact that there has been damage to the ones in Trabzon and uh, Nicaea. And was this established uh, on the basis of a, a team coming in and doing a survey? Has UNESCO been involved? Is there any kind of um, process whereby UNESCO, for instance, can come in and sort of check things out? How do we know, for instance, that the damage occurred in those two, yet Um, we don't know about the Hagia Sophia in Istanbul? uh, The other two, it has been almost, um, well, for Nice, it has been a decade, and for Trabzon, um, almost eight years. So there has been some time since the initial conversion. Uh, But people who visit, uh, professionals who visit those structures have reported uh, damage um, on the structures. So it wasn't a, a... you know, it wasn't a survey. It wasn't. It wasn't done officially. Uh, but the reports are from coming from professionals who had been studying those monuments for a while and who know of their former state and their current state. Um, in terms of what UNESCO can do, so UNESCO mm-hmm. can interfere only in the cases which are inscribed. Uh, on UNESCO's list of world heritage sites. Now, Hagia Sophia and Kora are within UNESCO's domain because um, historic peninsula of Istanbul um, is part of uh, UNESCO's world heritage um, sites. Um, so in these cases, uh, UNESCO can uh, monitor the changes um, as in any other uh, historic monument in Istanbul. Uh, UNESCO cannot say whether or not um, a nation state decides to use a monument in one way or another, uh, but they have the right to, you know, monitor um, its well-being. This has not yet happened um, in the case of Istanbul. Of course, COVID has slowed things down significantly, but also UNESCO is a um, very slowly operating uh, mechanism. I'm sure it will be in the next report that the Turkish uh, responsible team for UNESCO writes to UNESCO headquarters, but we have have not been there yet. Isn't it also the case that many of the mosaics are now covered what impact does that have on those mosaics Um, do they remain covered the whole time or are those screens lifted when it's you know time for tourists come in and see them how does it all work what do the tourists actually now see from what I understand, it changes um, constantly. Uh, but one thing that has not... Uh, the upper galleries, where some of the most um, 
fabulous mosaics are uh, located are closed for uh, visiting. Um, I actually kind of support that decision because unless you have enough manpower to, you know, make sure no damage is done to the mosaics by those who are walking around, um, that's, I think, um, in this configuration, a right decision not to let human traffic in that areas. Um, the most uh, significant and wonderful mosaic of uh, Mother Mary holding baby Jesus um, in the apps um, is covered by this a set of movable curtains, uh, which um, have been pretty much closed uh, since the uh, monument opened as a functioning mask. So you can have like a peekaboo view of Mother Mary um, and Jesus, but it's, um, it has been opened very rarely. And um, on two occasions, one of which was um, the visit of um, a diplomatic group, for instance. Um, so on a daily basis, it's pretty much all closed. The other mosaics that you see in the narthex, for instance, when you're walking into Hagia Sophia and um, the corridor that leads you out of Hagia Sophia, some of these uh, mosaics have, um, again, removable curtains. And I have heard that at times they are down and at times they're up. Um, there is no real um, structure to when they're open and when they're closed, uh, but those other mosaics can be seen by those who come in at, if they're lucky that they're open, they can be seen. So my final question to you, Tuba, is this decision reversible? Do you think if a new government was to come to power, let's say a more secular minded government, would they be able to actually reverse the decision and make it a museum again? And would that be possible politically for them given just how conservative ultimately Turkish society is? That is a very challenging uh, question, Amberin. And um, I will give two answers. One of them I will answer as an archeologist who studies those monuments and who knows um, that whatever state they're in today, um, I can tell you for sure that it's going to change at one point. It could be 500 years from now, it could be a thousand years from now, but it, it, those monuments have a natural way of changing throughout time. In the more short view of history, of course, any decision is reversible, but it needs to be considered very carefully, both in terms of what the implications would be for the structure itself but the larger implications for the well-being of everybody living in that country. Hagia Sophia's conversion by, by Erdogan uh, did not take any of these considerations into its decision-making processes. Well, on that note, it's time to wrap up today's discussion. Thank you so much for all your valuable insights, and we look forward to having you back again, Tuba. Amirin, thank you very much. It was a pleasure. I'm Ben Kaspit, I'll monitor veteran columnist reporting from Israel, one of the world's major news and action suppliers of all times, comparing to its tiny size. 
I've been covering and analyzing the political, diplomatic, and military arenas in Israel for over 34 years. My best-selling biography, The Netanyahu Years, was out two years ago. I covered seven prime ministers, one major war, two intifadas, one prime minister's assassination, two and a half peace treaties, four military operations in Gaza, and it's not letting up anytime soon. I'm glad to invite you to On Israel, our brand new podcast, where we will discuss major events in Israel and its surroundings, talk to decision makers, leaders and analysts, and try to understand the chaos that comes with the territory of Israel and the Middle East. You will never have a dull moment with us. See you soon here on Israel Al Monitor. So this brings us to the end of today's podcast. I hope you enjoyed it and I look forward to being with you again with more interesting guests in the near future. Goodbye. Goodbye.